is Adam Hall, and you're listening to the Half Court Press podcast. Uh, hi all, this is Ingo Kinderfader uh, from Finland, Scotland, and you're listening to the Half Court Press podcast. Hi, this is Alex Dunn, and you're listening to the Half Court Press podcast. Welcome to the fourth season of the Half Court Press podcast. In this series, View from the Touchline, we talk to coaches from different backgrounds about their philosophies on sport, the techniques used when teaching, and their approach to their job. In the final episode of the season, we hear from former Olympian and Badminton Scotland head coach Ingo Kindervater. The Half Court Press has partnered up with Right Performance to bring our listeners a competition for hockey equipment. If you share this podcast three times on social media before May 31st, then you will be entered into a prize draw to win either a handguard or a pair of shin pads. You can find the Half Court Press on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Looking for a new hockey stick? Don't want to pay over the odds for top of the range stick. After playing hockey for years, we've decided we'd try and do just that. We now have our own stick at a price that we think is competitive and have a range of three 100% carbon sticks. If you want to see more, go to our website at rightperformance.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to episode 6 of the Half Court Press podcast, uh, View from the Touchline, with Ingo Kindervater down the phone line, uh, who is a, a retired German badminton player and now head coach of badminton Scotland. Hello Ingo. Hello. Not bad, not bad. Uh, guten Tag. Um, uh, yeah, how, how, are you, how are you doing with the coronavirus? Lockdown. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, the job is still keeping me very busy. Um, a lot of, well, probably a bit of a change of my daily routines uh, with all the on-court uh, uh, training not happening at the moment, but um, just means for me that I have more time to spend at the desk in the office and uh, uh, work on other projects. Um, so I'm keeping busy with that. And apart from that, I would also say that I am still in good spirits in the lockdown situation. Uh, I feel like the good weather helps a lot. Um, so, yeah, I get some quality time with my dogs in the garden also, which feels uh, you still get outside a little bit, even if it's just uh, your own garden. So, no, I'm, I'm all good. Thanks. Yeah, I've, uh, I, I've been working next to, uh, next to some windows in my, my house here. And I'm getting a very one-sided, unsymmetrical uh, suntan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, my desk is like facing the window, so I at least get the full front. <laughs> um, right, we'll we'll swing back to your to your job in a bit. Um, let, let's begin at the at the beginning. Uh, where where are you from? Uh, where are you living now? Uh, who are you, basically? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Germany um, in a very small village close to Hanover, if, uh, if that rings bells. Um, so I'm from Germany. I've, I've played badminton for the German national team uh, for probably 15 years. Um, 
that was based in, in Saarbrücken, um, that's close to the French and Luxembourgish border. Uh, in the yeah, southwest of Germany, I would say. That's where I've lived the uh, uh, last 20 years almost before moving over to, to Scotland. And now I live in the very, very uh, nice city of Edinburgh. And yeah, got the coaching job here in Scotland. Um, very happy that I can pursue my uh, uh, yeah, passion for badminton, basically, even now after I moved to Scotland. All right, let's, let's touch on your... your... Your playing career, your, how did you start out in badminton? What got you into it? Uh, yeah, my, my dad, actually, he liked to play badminton as, as an amateur, I would say. So just enjoy sometimes going on court with his friends. And he found the best way to do that was to found his own club. And that was in, I don't know, probably when I was like three, four years old or something like that. And um, so after he founded his own club, he obviously spent some time even more on the court and in the hall and uh, dragged me along, I would say. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but yeah, no, I've been playing since I can think, really. Like, I can't remember the time before I started playing anymore. So I was, I was holding a record in my hand when I was four, probably, for the first time or something like that. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how much you can tell about um, a player or how comfortable they are with 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 I suppose a, uh, with a with a lever with a racket with a, a ball or whatever it is of how of how long they've been playing sports. If it's, yeah, if you start I mean, if you start when you're young, it looks it, it it appears to be more natural. Yeah, uh, yeah, that plays a role. Uh, also, the, I mean, <laughs> I. I I take it as a compliment, but most people, are, there are probably quite a few people also that would not describe my hitting technique as the most natural ever. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I, and I, I would probably be one of them. Um, so, but it definitely obviously helps a lot when you've had your record in your hand uh, from, from very early ages on. And uh, even more so when the quality of your training is uh, um, of, of yeah, high standards. Which probably like the the region where I'm from in Germany is not necessarily a um, yeah strong badminton region in Germany. So um, like for for beginners level, what's um, like basically what was being taught in the club that was good, but everything advanced was um, let's say a bit further away from where I lived. So it's also uh, my my playing career is I was you know like I was. Uh, um, I was allowed in the national team when I was 21 and before that like all the junior squads and stuff I was not in there was one year where they took me some international tournaments but uh, I was not I was basically not in a, ever in a national junior squad or something like that um, so like I, the, the whole thing even though I started very early it uh, only picked up pace quite late um, but yeah it definitely um, it's hard, especially with with a complex sport like badminton. It's hard to start late, so that's that's never really gonna happen. But that's the same in other sports. If you if you hear stories from like the best of the best, let's say Roger Federer or these guys, they all they all started early and uh, spent a lot of time in, in young ages with quality training already. So that's usually connected. And so one one of the things running through this series, a little bit the last series as well. Um, is is how young do you specialize or how old do you 
how 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 soon or how late do you start do you start specialising as a player from a coaching point of view? Um, uh, the last the last episode we had episode five was with uh, hockey hockey coach Chris Faust, and he was saying a lot of uh, international under sixteen teams don't field um, competitively in the same manner because players were, were burning out by by senior grades. Um, and the and the dropout rate was too high because they were specialising too young. Um, I mean, but, and that's I suppose that's, an, that's another sport with with additional levers where it's quite important to have get used to that extra oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, um, they are like I think they get um, that, that's that's an ongoing topic. You're basically just touching here in high performance sport. It's like the question: How soon should you specialise? Um, and I'm surely not one of the experts when it comes to picking out an, an age or also, um, you know, giving a perfect number of how many training hours you should spend in your sport or other sports, uh, in which age group and stuff. I suppose it's also very, it completely depends also on, on how keen the kids almost are on this. Um, I, myself, only ever played badminton in a club, no other sports, but I still spent like hours and hours playing football with friends after school, uh, I don't know, basketball, um, basically whatever came around. And I also think um, you were well, definitely, definitely on board with not thinking that specializing too early is the right way forward. Um, you know, like kids should have like a very, very wide base of general motor skills and different perceptions perception skills and you know like just enjoying all different kind of movements really in my eyes um, so uh, I would definitely advocate doing more than one sport and you know like when, when, when you start with sports really um, uh, there's also like um, I, I attended a seminar of actually a, a Belgian professor once that is very specialized in you know like a, a talent ID and um, he also touched the topic of specialization in his in a seminar and he suggested something um, going forward you know like once you start be be wide and open for other sports and then before you completely specialize go into something what he called like a, a, a wider specialization so that you maybe go for in case of Batman you go for Batman and then two other sports or something around that that tick similar boxes or helpful boxes uh, in terms of, you know, Batman is important, that they have uh, good reactions, for example, uh, and stuff like that. So there are other sports that also help to develop that. And that's what he suggested. Um, well, that did sound very sensible to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's, I think there's loads of examples throughout history of people having played different sports or using different sports. Um, I, read, I read somewhere that Michael Schumacher used to go rock climbing as a way to um, build up the body strength for the G-Force stuff. Yeah, I think he was, he was, he was one of these guys that had like endless energy. <laughs> I think like as soon as one sport was done, he was going to go and find the next one. And yeah, so I, I surely believe that story. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as a player, uh, am I right in thinking that you were a doubles player? Yes, that's correct. Yes, I, was, I've, you know, I, saw, I saw on Wikipedia that you won, you won in a final against a, a, an English pairing. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, um, yeah, this probably relates to the 2012 Big Burger Open, uh, where we, I think we played an English.
English pair in the semi-finals and an English pair in the finals and ended up winning that. Uh, we had some, yeah, back then we, I don't know, uh, obviously you, you play a lot of tournaments as a, 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 a badminton player anyways, like the calendars get bigger uh, or like fuller and fuller. There's so many, so, so much competition out there and you, you just play in a lot of them. So it also happens that you play against people from all over the world, but especially then on the European tournaments, you end up playing against the other uh, top European pairs over and over again. So we also met the English pairs quite a bit. So that, and, like sometimes we won, sometimes they won, really. So that was uh, the BWF, Badminton World Federation uh, Grand Prix, Bitburger mm -hmm. Open 2012, yeah. uh, beating Chris Lang Lang Langridge and Peter Mills 21-15, according to yeah. Wikipedia. Which, uh, um, so that, is that was that with Jonas Schutzler, yeah, that's your partner? Right, yeah, yeah. It, seemed, it seemed to be paired up with him quite a bit. Yeah, we played uh, the, like basically my last three or four years of my play active playing career. I played with him. He was a fair bit younger than me, so um, I had some, uh, you know, a few partners before him. But um, the last three four years, I played with him. He's also the guy that I played with at the London Olympics. And yeah, like the, actually the Pittsburgh Open are quite nice memory. I also remember that game quite a bit still because it was in our hometown, like that was in Zabrücken, so where our national centre is. So we had like a lot of people attending that one. And, um, it was a tournament we always wanted to win and managed in 2012. So that's a quite good memory, really. And 2010 as well, is that, is that correct? Uh, 2010 we were in the final but lost it. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Against Danish pair, um, yeah. it seems to seem to do quite well at home, perhaps. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, somehow always helps, right? Like if you if you in a familiar environment, maybe you sleep a bit better in your own bed. Uh, um, I don't know. Your your routines are all in place for how to your life basically in your hometown so uh, I suppose it's not a disadvantage and then if it's even in front of home crowd and they want you to win that's also a bit of extra energy yeah I was I was um, I was at the Scottish Open mm -hmm. in Glasgow uh, I was at, about five six months ago and yeah. and the Scottish fans there weren't many fans there but they made a hell of a racket we had a Scottish pair were yeah. doing okay and um, I who was chatting to me I think uh, Adam Hall or um, or the, maybe the Grimley brothers, perhaps. I think it came off the pitch saying, "Yeah, we felt great after that. During that, yeah. we, you know, we could, we could hear we could hear the crowds calling our names and things like this." And yeah, yeah, it works for. I mean, I don't know. Some, for some people, it might also be some extra pressure, I suppose, if everyone's watching and having high expectations. But uh, at best, uh, a home crowd works in your favour and gives you some extra energy. So. Um, I feel like the Scottish Open are actually a good example where that happened again because we had a lot of really good performances there and um, yeah, that's probably also not a coincidence that that happened in Scotland. So you, you were at the London Olympics in 2012, <laughs> uh, was that with uh, Schottler as well, was it? Yes, um, And how, how was that as an experience? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, the Olympics are crazy, really. <laughs> it's, it's, it, you know, it was my first uh, and only Olympics as a player. I've been in Rio as a coach with the German team, but um, basically arriving there and then it's it's just so big, you know, like there are a lot of 
a lot of big badminton tournaments also uh, uh, in the world. Um, but like having a multi sports event, and like then the the um, yeah the amount of people that follow what you're doing, uh, like you get more TV presence and stuff. But also like the just the just arriving in the Olympic Village and stuff. It's just a, a very very big experience. Uh, um, like very positive obviously but it's also it's an interesting one when you haven't had it before because um, it's actually also not so easy to to then find the same routines basically to focus on your competition because it's like there's so much going on uh, around you um, but yeah no overall we, we actually performed quite well uh, we didn't make it out of the group stage unfortunately because um, like the very first match we might not have played at our best and then we were uh, after that match. We were in a position where we had to beat the uh, yeah by far best doubles pair in the world <laughs> at that point um, to progress. And we like we almost managed to challenge them uh, uh, quite a bit, but um, yeah, lost in the end. They they went on and won the tournament quite comfortably actually. So no shame in losing to them. But yeah, the first match is maybe a bit of a. Not perfect memory because again, like we played okay, but not as well as we could have. Um, but overall, the Olympics, just just the experience and stuff like that, is surely something I'm never gonna forget. Uh, so you, so you've 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 had some success at the Grand Prix. You've had a bit of a learning curve at the Olympics. Um, the year after, I believe you won you won uh, a European medal in Moscow. <laughs> We actually won the gold medal at the Team European Championships. Um, managed to beat Denmark, who you like sounds so, sounds a bit weird, but they usually win it uh, every time. So um, it's it's um, yeah, if like another country manages to uh, to beat them, it's it's um, yeah, a bit of a big deal almost in Europe. And I'm I'm, I'm quite happy that I was on on that end once. So. What have the have these experiences changed your 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 career or your philosophy as a coach? Um, yeah, probably my my like those ones for sure. But um, you know, like there's behind that there was so much work and like years of of training and you know ups and downs and learning curves as you just called it. And uh, like all these years, surely influence you in, in in your approach for coaching. Also, you know, like my probably my story for not having been in in squads uh, for for a very very long time of my career um, probably helps me now as a coach because I was I was out yeah uh, um, I had to take a lot of ownership for how much I wanted to train uh, um, like figuring out how to beat people on a badminton court and um, you know like i didn't have i didn't have someone who was just telling me do this 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 and this and then you win uh, i kind of had to figure that out myself and like basically also find a way how to outwork maybe the people who were ahead of me back then in the german squad um so yeah i think like all these years surely influenced me uh, uh, big time that sounds a bit like um, a sense of responsibility for the player Obviously, I also don't believe that you should 
you should put everything in, in the players' hands. Like there's there's uh, uh, my responsibility as a coach now is uh, mainly also like creating a framework and uh, like an idea of badminton and and um, yeah, basically training sessions on a daily basis that allows players to maximize their potential. But as much are the players and responsibility within that framework, if that makes sense. Mm. So I feel like if, if a very good framework meets um, very good behaviors of players and uh, like also the behavior, uh, um, players taking responsibility for their standards and stuff like that, um, then we're talking. But like both of it has to has to come together in my eyes. I remember listening listening to um, a thing with uh, I don't know coaching course through Great British Hockey. So we had the women's coach on. Just just before actually just before the the, um, the Rio Games, uh, the twenty sixteen Olympics where where they won uh, won the gold medal, and um, he was talking about how they they have a specific day. So they have what you call they have a, a large structure throughout the week in terms of training and progression and processes, and then one specific train, training session a week, or one day, the players take control. Of of the you know they teach each other and it, it, the coaches would like like because he's top seeing personalities, you know who's the alpha, who's the beta, how do you work together, um, what, how are how are they um, taking on the structure, how are they coping within the structure, is that a similar sort of thing to what you're doing at Badminton yeah. Scotland? I would say so. I mean, what you basically just described is the just by doing a session like that. Um, he's putting the people in charge to first of all, you know, take ownership for their session. Uh, um, you know, like also if they actually have to work together, then that's going to be good for the team. Um, and like they kind of have to reflect what they're doing and all these. There, there, you're ticking off like three, four very, very valuable behaviors already. And um, that's that's very aligned with my ideas. Then I suppose, like for me, it's a lot about you know getting people to to well, getting the right behaviors and values out of people so uh, and the, like what you just described is exactly one way so leave some openings in the training plan uh, where people have to uh, um, yeah take own responsibility but also basically they're responsible to uh, well first of all get going you know like they could as well all agree on on uh, having not the best session if that makes sense or skip it I suppose but um, you know like there you start thought processes also that you know you, you get people to to actually make a conscious decision to you know actually I want this too you know like I want to have I want to have a good session now I want to work on this and I'm going to do it as, as well as I can and that is that is definitely something um, that is you know you won't have many people successful in sport who are not able, you know, to take responsibility of, of uh, at least their self-drive and motivation and, like, also the standards that they're happy with in their own training. I suppose, like, um, there are people who get, like, the whole program from their coaches and that's also what, what coaches should be for, uh, there for, right? But, um, yeah, like, when it comes to, to self-drive, uh, ownership and uh, you know like all the all the right behaviors and values to actually reach you know excellence uh, on a daily basis and um, people have to take all responsibility for that also I think 
I think that this um, this method, though, it can is potentially quite difficult for some for some coaches, you know, to let go of that bit of control and at least one day a week or something. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, at, at best, <laughs> at, at best for for that. I mean, you don't. Maybe you can you can do it in a way that you almost don't sacrifice any of your own. Uh, um, sessions that you want to do but like look at it as something on top that the players do you know if you plan a session or like a week or something like that and then the players have ticked that off then you can still leave some some time either before or after that that's also how we have it um, like we have we have uh, two two time frames each week um, before or after a session um, where we kind of expect the players to still train but without a program basically so that's up to them Still, you know, like we still discuss that with them, um, but uh, in the end, they also get to choose what they do, and like they have the responsibility for their quality there and stuff like that. I think that goes a long way. I think that it can build a sense of investment because if they're not training physically, technically, these things are perishable skills that um, the coach and the teammates pick up on that quite quickly if one person isn't doing it. Yeah, it's very interesting, you know, like, for a coach, it's also very interesting to see um, the players in those times. Mm. Uh, um, no, yeah, but, like, I, I wouldn't even look at it as an investment for me, and, I mean, like, maybe we talk a bit about philosophy here already, but uh, um, for me, it is, you know, like, all these behaviours are as much a development area as a badminton technique, if that makes sense. So, um, like, this is basically a training session for, for, for behavioral skills, almost, um, or general behavioral skills. I mean, a bit technique is also a behavior, if you want. But, um, like, also, actually, like, the time at the moment for me is very, very, because it's, it's, this is a tough time uh, for athletes. Um, you know, like, they're on, on, on their own a lot. Um, they're out of their usual environments so basically they were all forced to build new routines um, and and all these things so um, like you know when the lockdown was announced we were like immediately sat together and thought okay so what can we do what what, what can you do from a high performance perspective and a lot was okay we can still train physically we can work on strength and endurance and mobility and a lot of things actually mobility for example is a topic that probably most of the times comes a bit short so there's also a chance to to uh, work on on yeah basically things that you usually don't have like the same amount of time for but for me also like at the moment this is this is behavior in school <laughs> you know like people have to have to build their own uh, um, habits and stuff like that and uh, we try to guide that a bit because there are also things that you can you can use um to to guide that if you know like for example goal setting over the week or actually you know like agreeing with each player on a certain habit to actually put a goal in place uh, and things like that um, but that's definitely something you can train at the moment also and, and what we want to improve does that does that vary from player to player already with like some players need a why for why we do certain things some players don't need that like they if you tell them to do something they just do it almost that makes sense so it's it's yeah like how 
how you approach that is is quite individual for sure. Yeah, I suppose one of the greatest stories of coaching I heard with a little, little snippets, little anecdote was um, when Eric Cantona turned up at Man United, the, the football club, and the, the Scottish coach went, "Okay, you're a superstar. If I treat you like the English guy around the corner, you you're gonna react very differently." So it's like it, Eric Cantona was saying the genius, the genius of Alex Ferguson was was to notice that and and change and say, right, yep, he's going to score loads of goals, so therefore it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, again, like people are very, very different. Uh, um, the main thing also is like people struggle with different things, if that makes sense. Mm. So like the, um, it's, 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 for example, also not the same same goal each week for everyone at the moment. Like I'm, I quite like to aim for the ones um that, that people are struggling with really because <laughs> that's the biggest improvement area then uh, but yeah no, for sure like the, the way you, you uh, work with people is, is a bit different um, I mean I also believe that you have to be quite uh, authentic as a coach so you can't you can't change I don't know 100% for, for everyone but I also think like if you for me, the main thing to have in place to be successful actually in working with someone is like you have to establish a good relationship with them. And like that is in terms of like relationship, it's probably something in between personal but also professional. So like a definition of a good relationship for me is, for example, we we know we have the same goals. You know, like the we both know that, um, well, like I, I, I know that um, the the play, player wants to get there. So if uh, if someone tells me, um, you know, like I'm struggling with this and that and stuff like that, then uh, I know that the motives are the right ones. Basically, that's that's then how you approach that. Uh, but also, like for me, it's super important that the players know that if I ask very uncomfortable things of them, it's in their best interest because then you can be, yeah, then you can ask a lot. <laughs> you know, if like things basically then lead to. Uh, interpersonal problems or something like that, then then it's difficult because that will always end up somewhere like that. Then if you if you ask a lot of people or push them to their limits, yeah. um, but again, like the, the it's also like how you establish the relationship, like how much you talk to someone or how you talk to someone is quite uh, quite different. But as long as I know we have like the aligned goals, same interests, and we can be like super open and transparent, and like we can push each other almost, then then I'm happy. Well, that 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 dips into a wide wider conversation of um, creating a culture within a team within a, a, a coaching playing environment, yeah. which is uh, easier said than done. I I find. Oh yeah, yeah. This is, um, but like this is exactly that's actually one of the. Um, development topics that we aim for basically all the all these behaviors but also how we interact with each other is, is what we would call our culture at the moment we're trying to establish a quite certain one even if like uh, we have we have something written down about certain things that we uh, we value and are almost like a like a baseline that you have to agree to um yeah so um no 100 percent agreed all right so let's let's talk more specifically about your your career, um, where are you working now? Who are you working for? What is your role? <laughs> okay. so I work for Badminton 
Scotland, I'm the head coach, um, and basically I'm responsible for the high performance department. So I do like again uh, uh, quite some hands-on work with the players, but I'm also responsible for uh, the development of overall strategic concepts and um, yeah, uh, developing basically uh, um, uh, a light approach through the whole country uh, from you know hopefully grassroots on to up to winning all the medals that we want to. I suppose the first question is, what does that involve? What, what are the day-to-day practicalities of, of that? Secondly, it, how, do, how do you get all the stuff that we were talking about a minute ago to happen? <laughs> uh, well, okay. <laughs> um, so what does it involve? Um, usually, usually, I would spend uh, two sessions each day on court with the players um, and do a lot of office work and things like that, working on these these concepts in between. Um, it's obviously like well, when when like these projects are really big. They also uh, include a lot of people. It's not that I do that on my own. Um, so yeah, but it's it's you know when you oh, there are so many things. Obviously, you can break that down in so so many little projects that either have to be where something like a sheet has to be developed uh, or something like that but it's also about communicating your ideas and beliefs and values and things like that like live up to them on a daily basis ask for them on a daily basis um so it's 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 i don't know it's tough to summarize in the short term uh, basically and sorry what was the second question how how do you get all the all the philosophies oh, okay. how do you get all that to actually happen yeah okay so i jumped in between the questions a little bit there yeah. already um yeah so i don't know is that did that answer it roughly or so, so let's, let's talk more let's get like a specific example perhaps um the scottish open was in november 2019 so about five months ago six months ago yeah. um how much work goes into that in terms of preparation preparing the players in terms of coaching the players and getting them ready, ready for that? And um, how do you prepare? How do you get them ready? Yeah, um, well, um, so, uh, again, like, uh, obviously, it, it, this is a very important tournament for us, right? But, like, in, in, um, in badminton, it hardly happens that you just prepare for one individual tournament so that's like you, you do that in, in the later ages of a player's career like let's say for Kirsty Gilmore who's in her absolute performance years um, she's preparing to absolutely deliver on, on certain tournaments for example the European Games last year where she won the silver medal uh, a lot of our other uh, um, athletes are still also in, in a general build up phase of their career if that makes sense so um we have we roughly plan with um, two tournament blocks each year and two training periods in between. Like in the training periods, it's a lot about like still developing general physicality, uh, general badminton skills, also all these kind of things. And then when it comes to the tournaments, so we at the moment we take quite some time for training still. Yeah, if you if you look at I don't know a thirty year old world class player, they probably play tournaments. On, on 30 weeks a year like we at the moment play maybe except for Kirsty again she played more because she was also really pushing hard last year to qualify for the Olympics um, but like uh, most of our players play something like 10 
15 tournaments. So there's way more uh, time for training at the moment. Uh, but then obviously when it leads to the tournament blocks, then it gets more into yeah, absolute match preparation, you know, like uh, um, speed-related stuff and things like that. So that's the general approach how to get to a tournament like this. Um, Scottish Open are actually a good example for how my job role is, is uh, 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 put together at the moment. Because like the Scottish Open, we are also um, there was a very successful week for us like on a high performance base. But like also you know there were like engagement events going on from Batman Scotland, and uh, there was a coaching uh, uh, course going on that I took the lead on because. In the end, if we want to develop the whole the whole uh, system, for example, in in, in Batman, Scotland, around the nation, then like coaching education is a, is a huge part. Um, like also when it you know like the culture, uh, I had a meeting with all um, national junior squad players at the Scottish Open. We invited them so that they would get uh, um, well to see very high class Batman in the first place, but also the chance to meet me because I've not been in, in charge for that long and we talked a bit actually about uh, what what a high performance culture or like what our high performance culture is supposed to look like so basically that's what I mean you, you have to communicate these kind of things also early on so um, yeah basically when we have chances like that we, we try to uh, work in, in a lot of directions at the moment so so you're talking about from the bottom up in terms of tra- coaching the coaches, training the trainers of how to, how to work and how to behave. Um, what, what, what key philosophies are you, are you trying to instill there? Um, yeah, well, like, I think I've, I've mentioned a few of them already. Like for me, again, like it's a lot about also not just teaching badminton almost, but um, like I think especially for, for junior squad players, it's important to, um, you know, like grow into like these behavioral uh, um, expectations that just come with high performance sport. I mean, in the end, we talk about an area where it's about absolute excellence. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's very elite as you like in terms of what's been asked of you. Um, so you have to be, you have to be willing to sacrifice and, and uh, you need an exceptional good work ethic and all these kind of things. So um, that's definitely part of my philosophy that I also try to communicate to other coaches. Um, like I'm happy to share a bit how I do that, but then it's also, obviously it's also about badminton in the end. <laughs> yeah, like uh, um, how, to, how to use different methodologies, for example, um, to reach different goals within a training session or could also just be about badminton techniques and all these kind of things. All right. I suppose if we, I suppose this, this would feed into my next question of what would make a good coach. Um, so let's, let's, let's talk more specifically of what techniques, what drills, what session structures do, do, do you use when, when you're teaching, when you're coaching? See if I can put that into words. I'm better with showing these kind of things, I suppose. But um, we're moving into YouTube soon, so <laughs> that's the next step. The YouTube videos. <laughs> uh, no, but um, in the end, it's it's. Uh, I would say uh, at some point in in, or like the main things is obviously you want a player to to 
have a huge skill set. So you know, you want them to teach. Uh, you want the, uh, to teach them like uh, a lot of effective and efficient badminton techniques, so that they, you know, like they're as skillful as it gets almost. Yeah. Uh, then the next step basically is. Um, you want them to understand how to use these skills and weapons that they have to uh, um, solve certain situations uh, on a, in a badminton match. Yeah. And like also, you know, understand badminton situations and, and uh, uh, recognize them. So like all the perception elements that come into play in, a, in this high, very fast and uh, complex sport. Um, and then the last step uh, would be that even even when they're out of comfort, when they're fatigued, when they're stressed in a, you know, something like, let's say it's 18 all in Olympic quarterfinal, third set or something like that. Um, no one's going to feel, no one's going to feel, oh, yes, like this is my absolute comfort zone, you know. <laughs> and then you still want to have it prepared in training that, they, that they're ready for this situation. And that makes sense. So it's like, you know, skill development, learning how to use your skills and then being able to keep that up even if you don't feel great, if that makes sense, or when you're stressed and fatigued. And like if you, depending on which goal you're pursuing, um, it makes a difference how you set up your session. Yeah, if you want to train how people are behaving when they're fatigued, you need to get them fatigued in the first place. Okay. Yeah. If, you want to, if you want them to... to uh, um, just learn or just like if you want to uh, teach a skill yeah, then they should not be fatigued you know like they should be fresh they should be ready to go high intensity uh, a lot of uh, uh, focus and and clarity in their heads uh, and stuff like that so and um, yeah you want to isolate the situation rather than having a complex situation things like that so it depends which goal you're pursuing then um, yeah like what methodology you choose Right, so in terms of isolating situations, uh, I like to focus on that. If that's okay, one of the other coaches that I was speaking to is a football coach um, out in Latin America, and he 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 loves random repetition. So, so you try and you condition a game, for example, to focus on on one or two li little things, so you get you get that more often, but in different in different ways. So it's not just hit, kicking the ball up and down in a straight line. It's how do you do this if 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 the opponent's close to you or far away from you or something. Um, do you do things like this or similar to the senior sessions, or do 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 things a bit differently? No, no. I think that that would tick. Um, you know, like from what I just described, that would probably tick the second box. You know, that we have like the the game situations where people have to learn how to use their skills. Um, but yeah, you want to have these situations quite open so that it's not, you know, like the, the shuttle is always coming from the same spot. You always play it to the exact same spot on the other side. That's more, that would probably more be part of like still developing the skills. But then um, the other part is more about, you know, conditioning games, uh, open exercises where people have to find their own solutions a little bit. Um, still, you know, like with the, with, um, their head around what what their solution is so that they also you know like they know the solution for the situation but like the situation obviously is a bit different every single time you still want to use your skills in there 
And like as open as that is, you still want to have like a lot of repetition in there. Basically, repetition in the end is is without alternative. Uh, again, like repetition gets very very important. Again, also when we talk about the last step that I just described, you know, like the keeping your keeping your quality up when you're a bit stressed because you will always you will always rely on habits on court. Then yeah, it's not that you if you if you're uh, um, not Basically, you're not 100% relaxed and stuff like that, and and then you will not rely on on creativity or something like that. But you will rely on the habits that you've practiced a lot. So um, that's and and like you form the habits through repetition. Mm. So, how much of an effect can a coach have on a match, or is it more to do with training sessions? Yeah, both, right? I mean, like a training session is basically trying to have uh, an effect on, on later matches. Um, so, like, everything we do in training is obviously just aimed for having the best mm. competition later on. But when you mean, like, in the direct preparation, I still think you have quite an influence. Um, it's not, I don't, like, there are a lot of matches probably where it does not make the biggest difference if there was a coach or not, but there are, you know, like a lot of, a lot of uh, um, matches in the end, like uh, in absolute world class, the margins are so small. Yeah, so it can be like it can be a, a very different outcome. Whether you as a coach can maybe influence like three, four points each game, something like that, or if you you know like if you do a mutual technical preparation before uh, the match, where you find some gaps that we can we can use to score some of those points. Um, like badminton is a very statistical game, right? Like you, you get a. Um, it's it's not necessarily like football where you know one team can win. I don't know, like play more passes, have more possession, uh, um, and all these kind of things, and still lose. Like in badminton, you get either you, you you get a point or your opponent gets a point after each rally, right? So, um, like the more the more good decisions you make on court. Uh, um, the more points you will score also automatically and like obviously you as a coach can help to you know either either if you have a good connection to your athlete you can put them in the right mental uh, mindset again or you find something technical or uh, yeah anything like that and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can you can win or lose a few points each game like that and that can make the difference with very tight margins okay um so, as, as we sort of come towards the end here, uh, what are your favourite tournaments to watch as a badminton fan and your favourite tournaments to, to coach in? Okay, uh, well, I do have a thing for team tournaments um, a lot. Like, I don't know, I've somehow in my personality that team stuff motivates me. Is that a typical doubles player, is it? If, if you're motivated by teams, things that you actually play as a team, I'm sure. Uh, no, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, like, basically, as a doubles player, all my tournaments were somehow a team tournament, right? But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in Batman, we always say that uh, as a player, it was also, you know, like, uh, when you when you practice with all the other national team players, they were somehow your competition in a lot of tournaments. 
but in, back in training, they were your teammates. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. it was quite rare that you could go with all of them to the same tournament as teammates also. So I suppose that's why I quite like that because we, uh, again, also within within our training group back then already, uh, we had good relationships with, uh, um, yeah, like we were all good friends. I was going to go on holidays with quite a few of the other badminton players and stuff like that. So, um, um, yeah, and then actually having tournaments where we could all compete together, uh, that, that, I don't know, like worked really well for all of us usually. Uh, and I now, as a coach, also same. Like I really enjoy that. Um, and yeah, otherwise, uh, um, like the as a badminton player, you, you have to kind of point out the big tournaments in Asia there, because you know, like in Asia, it's such a big sport, and like the biggest halls are sold out. So the atmosphere is just amazing. Um, like if you go to a tournament in Indonesia, or like if 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 people now want to go on YouTube and look at the Indonesia Open, for example, and uh, matches that they find there, it's like it's crazy atmosphere. There's also in Batman, there's no such thing that the audience should be quiet while we play rallies. They just go, they absolutely go mental <laughs> in that. So um, that that is something special for sure. Like going to the to the big Asian tournaments, uh, playing in front of I don't know fifteen, twenty thousand people is is quite something for sure. I've I've covered I've I've been lucky to to cover quite a few indoor tournaments now uh, from a variety variety of different sports about three or four different sports now and it's um, the noise has nowhere to go. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's electric you know it's, it's electric almost it, it can be quite uh, quite noisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no. Again, like I, there's some extra energy in there. I suppose I quite like tournaments where there's extra energy in there for me. So I get extra energy from going to a tournament with the team. I get extra energy from the audience. I get extra energy from playing at home almost or coaching at home. So um, those are the ones, I suppose. Ingo, thank you very much. No worries, it was a pleasure. This has been a Half Court Press production by Teo McLeod.